is this too much? I think just for the ridiculousness of it, I should 100% leave it on. Actually, no, the yellow is not speaking to my soul. I'm taking it off. Okay. <laughs> hey, howdy, everyone, and welcome back to our new segment in my era's era, where yours truly will be conducting a literary analysis of a Taylor Swift song in the lens of a Star Wars character or characters. <laughs> we are going in backwards album order, so we're getting started with her latest album, Midnight's. Uh, we're currently on track 17, High Infidelity, from the 3AM edition. High Infidelity, I'll be honest, wasn't a song that stood out to me when I was originally listening to the album. I kind of found it bland, but the more I listened to it and the poetry and learned the story behind it, uh, I kind of started to open up to it a lot more. This song was created by Taylor Swift and Aaron Desner after the 2021 Grammy Awards, when Folklore won Album of the Year. Famously, Would've, Could've, Should've was also written during this time by the two of them. It should also be noted that John Mayer was performing at the 2021 Grammy Awards. And if you have watched or listened to the Would've, Could've, Should've episode, then you would know how damaging that would have been for Taylor about to turn 32. On a recent Eras Tour escapade on April 29th, Taylor played this song, High Infidelity, as well as Gorgeous as surprise songs, uh, which paints a whole picture of the context of those, but I'll get into that later. <laughs> I do want to try to do something different with the Star Wars of it all today. I want to first do my analysis of the song, then with the terminology of the lyrics and the whole picture painted, I will go back in and reconstruct the character situation based on the lyrics and how they play out. Let's get right into this, friends. Without further ado, here is verse 1. Lock broken, slur spoken, wound open, game token. I didn't know you were keeping count. Rain soaking, blind hoping, you said I was freeloading. I didn't know you were keeping count. So right off the bat, I am seeing some major links to both the songs Gorgeous and Glitch, which we will get into in due time. Let's start with line one, lock broken, slur spoken. If you watched the last episode on Glitch, then you know that there was some talk of, quote, the system breaking down, right? And, and we discussed what that system might be exactly. I came to the conclusion that the system was a metaphor for the speaker's emotional barriers or biases and that this glitch occurs and makes them question the system, hence why it's breaking down. I think that Glitch and Gorgeous exist in the same moment in time, outlining the same event from two very different reflective points. I think that here, when the speaker says lock broken, they're implying that, you know, the system is broken. The metaphorical door to their broken down abandoned lover house, which may actually be the anti-hero house, has been unlocked. That, you know, their guard is down because of this Glitch, who will be constantly referenced in the song. Now, slur spoken. I think should immediately set the scene for all of you if you were confused. The first line of this song, Gorgeous, is you should take it as a compliment that I got drunk and made fun of the way you talk, right? Followed by a few lines further, I got a boyfriend, he's older than us, he's in the club doing I don't know what. So yeah, the speaker got tipsy, their boyfriend who didn't they didn't really like was not near them, so they started talking to someone who they got along with and actually seemed to like and have an interest in them as well. Line two. Wound open, game token, is a rather interesting one. Wound open, I think, can be interpreted in two different ways. Uh, 
Firstly, as implied, the speaker cheated on their partner with the glitch, hence why their partner's wounds are open. Regardless of whether or not love was involved in that relationship, the speaker still cheated on their partner. For what reason is yet to be determined, but will be determined later. Now, the wound that is open could also be the speakers and maybe the reason why they cheated in the first place. That that talking with this glitch and having someone that took genuine interest in them made them realize how horribly their partner was treating them or how they were being neglected emotionally and made them want to have something with this person who made them realize that. Game token is fascinating and here's why. It's giving me major Dear John flashbacks as well as Mastermind. Uh, also, happy Speak Now Taylor's version release uh, announcement, everyone. I've already pre-ordered. <laughs> um, the reason that game token made me think of Dear John is because of the line, and I lived in your chess game, but you changed the rules every day. It also makes me think of Mastermind and the line, checkmate, I couldn't lose. And the, just the general chess imagery. Game tokens I associate with winning a game or about to play a game, like a Chuck E. Cheese or a Dave and Buster's situation. Uh, <laughs> those tokens are made of plastic and are really cheap looking, right? Almost insinuating that this relationship that's ending was cheap and, and plastic and fake. Huh, almost like a public boyfriend the speaker was forced to have to hide their sexuality and or boost their image in the public eye. The eight beards. Hmm, from the Look What You Made Me Do music video. I'm not explaining. <laughs> I really don't know how to feel about this line and what it might insinuate beyond that. Like, I can't voice my thoughts about it. Please let me know what you think, friends. Because uh, this is no fun if I'm doing it alone. It, to me, it almost seems like these plastic tokens that he held some kind of currency for the speaker's partner. That, that you know, they, they attach some kind of monetary value to it when the speaker wasn't aware this might be why in line three the speaker says like i didn't know you were keeping count maybe the partner attributes these tokens to things that the speaker has done that they disagree with or offenses against them which may be why which not maybe why which they may be you know never voiced to their partner which is toxic as hell not exactly healthy which may be why this relationship may only be a situationship, as mentioned in Glitch, which is why I keep referencing Glitch. Now, line four, rain soaking, blind hoping, sparks many things in my noggin. I don't know about you, but when I think rain soaking, I think of the delicate music video, which is another representation of the Glitch slash gorgeous instant on April 29th. In Delicate, the video, if you haven't seen it, ends with Taylor walking in in the rain from a subway station to a dive bar where she meets a man we only see from the neck down, uh, who sent her the golden note that makes her disappear. Flashback to so it goes. That dive bar is also mentioned in Folklore's Invisible String. Rain also makes me think of Clean from 1989, and the rain came pouring down when I was drowning, that's when I could finally breathe, which also makes me think that in the context of high infidelity that the walk to the dive bar is what makes the speaker clean blind hoping i think can mean multiple things hoping that their partner wouldn't find out right maybe they were hoping that this person that started the glitch would fill the hole in their heart left by their partner's negligence or toxicity which is reminding me of ivy from evermore so many connections 
Line five. You said I was freeloading adds onto that idea of the game tokens from before, that the partner feels like they're owed something for being with the speaker, which is also giving tolerated. Uh, freeloading is the action of taking advantage of other people's generosity without giving anything in return, which fits the bill that the, the speaker is kind of detailing so far, furthered by the re repetition of I didn't know you were keeping count in line six. Oh, look at that. It's time for the chorus. High infidelity. Put on your records and regret me. I bent the truth too far tonight. I was dancing around, dancing around it. High infidelity. Put on your headphones and burn my city. Your picket fence is as sharp as knives. I was dancing around, dancing around it. Let's first talk about the difference between the title of the song, High Infidelity, versus the common phrase, High Fidelity. High fidelity, besides being in reference to loyalty to one's marriage or relationship, which we'll get into in a bit, also has audio meanings, which is helpful when you consider what really happened on April 29th. Like, I don't talk, like talking about Taylor Swift's boyfriends. I don't. I don't like equating Taylor to the men or the people that she's dated in the past because I'm just not that kind of person. I think that one thing that's very prevalent in Taylor's music is that she uses her experiences to fuel her art, making her music almost like a diary, which she's talked about extensively in the past. She's not the only artist to do this, but I also think many people forget this because they equate her to her relationships, which is totally unfair. She is an artist, right? She she does this, sure, but so does The National and Ed Sheeran and Louis Capaldi and Florence and the Machine and Phoebe Bridgers and literally every other musician that considers themselves an artist and not just a musician, right? Back to the song, though, and, and why I mentioned all of this to begin with. High fidelity is not just a reference to relationships, but also in reference to the fidelity of audio quality. High fidelity is the reproduction of sound with little to no distortion as close to the original as possible. And I don't know if you all know this. Um, well, Taylor, at the time that uh, of the April 29th incident, was dating Calvin Harris. Um, and in tw Which is in 2016, I believe, right? And during that time, Taylor had written this song called This Is What You Came For that she was working on with him. You might know this song because it is most famously performed and by uh, Rihanna. It is one of her most popular songs produced by Calvin Harris. And at the time of, uh, about the end of 2022, I believe it was, or very early 2023, the original demos of the song got leaked, including Taylor's original demo, and people slowed down the produced Rihanna version and found traces of Taylor's original audio in the song especially in the chorus you should go check it out on tiktok if you haven't heard of this before it is wild i wouldn't be surprised if taylor's team were the ones to leak this because calvin harris tried to bury her involvement in the song especially when the two of them had broken up because taylor did cheat on him no matter how justified she was in wanting to leave him calvin harris is an asshole don't get me wrong and there's lots of stories about that but i'm not getting into that i don't have time and um, taking that your knowledge of the situation that I've just given to you, let's apply this to Taylor's reinterpretation of the phrase in high infidelity, right? Whilst we can obviously tell that it is the opposite, let's talk about why it's the opposite. Infidelity could be in reference to cheating or lying, which we've already distinguished, but I think 
it could also mean imperfect or distorted, which we will get into in a few minutes. And by that, I do mean, like, the situation is something is wrong, it's coming to an end, it's not what it seemed, it's not what everyone thought it was going to be. We'll get into it though. Okay, so line eight. Put on your records and regret me. Puts the this is what you came for situation on the front of my mind as the partner is characterized as a Jake Gyllenhaal type. I wonder if they're listening to music from those cool indie music concerts every week. <laughs> Anyways, the partner in this song is regretting the speaker. Why? Well, it might be because they say in line nine, I bent the truth too far tonight. What truth might they be bending? Bend, they be bending? Yeah, that that's the right word, sorry. God. <laughs> um, you know, we've already talked about it. I'm not saying it again. They, yeah. In line 10, the speaker confirms this, saying, you know, I was dancing around, dancing around it. You know, we could tell that this situation is not boiling over very well, since in line 12, the speaker describes their partner as angry, spaced out, as uh, you know, they say, put on your headphones and burn my city. It sounds like, to me, that the partner uses music as a coping mechanism to an unhealthy level. I've met people like that before, where instead of being in the present having a real conversation about what is wrong with their relationship and what they want and need, they put on their headphones and pretend their partner isn't there, festering in their anger. I feel like we've all done this at some point, though. But, like, constantly, maybe there's a problem. <laughs> now, line 13, I find to be a total gut punch. Your picket fence is as sharp as knives. Maybe the speaker feels like... Maybe, maybe the speaker in the song is, is married to the partner, or engaged, or feels like they're being pressured into marriage with this person, or the thought that they had no other option but to, you know, act out of their normal, maybe even their morals, and end up cheating on their partner. Like, when, when you think of fidelity, you think of, like, a married couple, right? Happy nuclear family unit, unit with two kids and a dog and a nice house with a signature white picket fence. But when the picket fence is as sharp as knives, it feels like the relationship is dangerous, like toxic even. Or that it is a, a projection or a vision of what could happen if they stayed committed to this person. Maybe the speaker viewed cheating or distancing themselves from their partner as the lesser of two evils, which is why in line 14 they were still dancing around it. Oh, now it's time for the post-chorus, huh? Do you really want to know where I was April 29th? Do I really have to chart the constellations in his eyes? I have one question for you all. Where were you April 29th? <laughs> April 29th is the day of the incident, of course, and now an infinite swifty meme acknowledged by Mother herself. <laughs> the line, do I really have to chart the constellations in his eyes is like what I imagine like the speaker saying like mid-argument when their partner like finds out. Like, do I have to really have to tell you how much better of a person he is than you? Like, how they treat me like a person? How they take, like, actual interest in my life? Do I have to tell you, like, the way he looks at me like I matter with stars in his eyes? Here's verse two. <laughs> Storm coming, good husband, bad omen, dragged my feet right down the aisle. At the house lonely, good money, I'd pay if you just know me seemed like the right thing at the time <laughs> let's start with line 17 storm coming good husband we mentioned the storm from clean before where the speaker punches a hole through the roof of the house because there's been a terrible drought and lets the flood you know carry away all those who hurt them so they finally be clean 
you mentioned that in verse one and, and and the rain that gave clarity which i think is it's it's what's being referenced here right now good husband is a red flag because it's never it's always it's always good husband and never like respectful and caring husband right the nuclear ideals of what makes a good partner is vastly different from what is modernly healthy especially when it comes to gender roles and discrimination when i think of this it just keeps me bringing bringing me back to ivy from evermore in that song we see the speaker as, as a married woman falling in love with a man who isn't her husband which is drawing some very specific parallels to this song and the events of april 29th nothing is mentioned of of the speaker you know whom we know to be a woman based on context and whether or not they are a good wife or a bad wife which is yet another red flag good and bad is just way too black and white the red flag continues though with line 18 bad omen which begs the question what is the bad omen the storm coming maybe for the partner it is a bad omen because they seem to have found out the truth we're about to right maybe it's the good husband himself maybe he's poking his nose in places that he would usually ignore maybe he really is catching on or already knows Maybe it was the glitch. The glitch seemed to have been a good omen for the speaker, helping them to realize what they wanted and needed in their life, even though it led to much anxiety and concern. The glitch mentioned may not have just glitched the speaker, but also those immediately around them. Maybe the partner got glitched as well. Now, line 19 outlines the truth we were all kind of expecting the speaker to say. Dragged my feet right down the aisle. As we expected before with the line, your picket fence was a trap for knives, the reader was forced somewhat into a marriage they were incredibly unhappy with, which is why they started looking for a way out. Now, line 21, or is it 20? I may have written that wrong. At the house lonely, good money is giving dear reader vibes, especially the line to a house, not a home, all alone because nobody's there. Note the usage of the word house in both songs, showing that the speaker is emotionally disconnected from their house and does not feel comfortable there in any way, probably because of their partner that makes good money, which is reminding me now of Tolerate It from Evermore. Imagine this line uh, in, in, in the context of that song, right? I'll, I'll read a, a little passage for you. Sorry. <laughs> when you were out building other worlds, where was I? Where's the man who throw blankets over my barbed wire? I made you my temple, my mural, my sky. Now I'm begging for footnotes in the story of your life, drawing hearts in the byline, always taking up too much space or time. Seems pretty familiar to me, not gonna lie. The Swift Cinematic Universe. It is expansive, my friends. <laughs> Now, I'd pay if you just know me feels like a desperate call for change, and also the moment I believe that the glitch occurred. I actually no longer think the glitch is characterized by a person, but an event in time where the speaker kind of realized everything needed to change. If you need to beg your partner to just get to know you after you've already been married, then there is a serious problem with your relationship. It's unhealthy. For everyone. <laughs> now we have line. 22. I think it was 20 before. I'm spacing out now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Seemed like the right thing at the time, right? What I think this could be in reference to two things. One, I think it could be the idea of getting married itself. Maybe the speaker didn't think they would have many options. Maybe it was a marriage of opportunity. My light just died. Sorry. Maybe of status. Maybe they thought that they were in love at the time, but their partner wasn't as in love with them as they were led to believe. 
the other thing this might be referring to is, is cheating on their husband because they felt real genuine aff attraction and affection for the first time in who knows how long and didn't know if they'd ever get to feel that connection again. Uh, that's why they would justify it to themselves and try to justify it to their partner, you know. Here's the bridge, y'all. You know, there's many different ways that you can kill the one you love. The slowest way is never loving them enough. Do you really want to know where I was April 29th? Do I really have to tell you how he brought me back to life? Now, surprisingly, this is going to be the last verse we're going to deep dive because the rest of the song is repetition of specific lines in different formats, which is significant to the song. But I do want to get to the general context and story. And then when we get to the Star Wars of it all, because yes, this is the Star Wars channel. Hi. <laughs> uh, I will elaborate as to why those specific lines and verses get repeated because repetition is a very efficient literary device. I honestly, even saying that, think that the bridge can speak for itself to a certain degree. I really don't know how much I need to elaborate on the phrase, you know, there's many different ways you can kill the one you love, the slowest way is never loving them enough. Don't see this as a cop-out, though, because we still have work to do. I'm gonna tell you all the story, and before I do so, feel free to pause and get yourself a snack or a drink in a nice cozy spot to listen and or watch the rest of this show if you haven't found one of those spots already. Okay, my camera wasn't recording. Um, I, I think I might have clicked it by accident. I don't know. Anyways, it's about to get a little dark and moody. So, uh, get comfortable. Corellia, 13 BBY. The sky is darkened with soot. Gray funnels of smoke shooting up into the sky for miles and miles along the city skyline. A young man with brown hair, blue pants, a leather jacket, is walking shakingly through crowded streets of market vendors, bustling storefronts, and thousands of people going about their business, collectively trying to survive their heads down, avoiding the black and white banners as they sway in the breeze. The air smells thick and heavy, metallic and toxic. Funnels of smoke and vapor explode from open pipes in alleyways. Just another reminder of the negligence by those currently in power for the health and the safety of the population. No one liked to think about it. It was too harsh a reality to face amidst the stormtroopers in the streets, their armor tarnished, but their black, glossy lenses always seem to stare into your soul, like they could read the very thoughts running through your mind. Not to mention the covered faces with hands lingering on their hips, their hollows beeping with bounties to hunt, their hollow, oh, people to chase and turn in for the right price. No one was safe on Corellia. To be honest, they never were. The young man squirrels his way through the crowd, narrowly avoiding as many people as he could. He knew damn well if he bumped into someone, they would cause a scene, and he had too much to do. He had to see her. He was late, but it was worth it. He promised himself he wouldn't go to see her until he had something worth showing. Everything was finally ready. Han had a plan. 
he and Kira were going to leave Corellia behind them. They had been talking about it forever, since the day they met all those years ago. He had been dreaming of it ever since his father had left this world for a better one. They would leave behind the White Worms, the Empire, all of it, and forge their own lives, their own destinies, and they would finally get to do so together on their own terms. Han finally turns right, then left, then left again, and then straight for a while before he turns and sees her. Kira. Her hair was short, recently cut. She never liked it long. Corellia was too hot for such long hair that she once had, and she'd rather not suffer from heat exhaustion while she had so much work to do. He tells her quickly and quietly, not wanting to let anyone in on the opportunity he'd found for them. He planned everything out perfectly. They had to leave. Tonight. 10 BBY. It didn't go the way he'd planned it then, and Han had found a way to live with it. As he would sit in the trenches, laser fire shooting from overhead, landing mere inches from his location, he would think of her. Sometimes he thought she was dead. Sometimes he wished she was. She wouldn't have to suffer anymore if she was. She'd be with his father, somewhere better, somewhere safer. Some days, as the lights would fire above him, Han would dream of her eyes and how he felt when he looked into them. He loved her. He thought he did, at least. But he didn't really know what love was supposed to be. There was never time for it. Never a place for it. Love was rare in a place like Corellia. He had come to the conclusion once that he was in love with the idea of Kira, of what she stood for. Of times when he wasn't risking his life for a cause he didn't believe in. For an emperor who cared for nothing but fear and pain. Despite the suffering, he even concluded he came to love his time on Corellia because even Corellia was better than the trenches on Mimban, fighting the locals who just want, wanted their home back. To live their lives and raise their families. Han had concluded that the family he was dreaming for would never happen the way he thought it would th that day three years ago. Not on his terms. Part of him found peace with it, but the rest of him couldn't bear the thought. That part of him also wanted to believe that Kira was still alive and waiting for him somewhere, that she'd found a way off Corellia and that she was happy somewhere, someplace he didn't care where as long as she was alive. Everything else could come later. Those delusions he had of her living. Han couldn't believe they were true. It felt like a dream. Like a farce. She couldn't be here, right? She could be... She couldn't be inches from him. Yet more out of reach than ever. He'd seen the tattoo on her arm. Was she really alive? Or was she merely pretending? He couldn't figure it out, even as they were fighting together for their lives. He kept trying to show off, hoping that she would still take interest in him after all this time. He wondered if she thought about him all those years. He wondered if, 
when she couldn't sleep. She would pray to whatever god exists that he was dead too. I thought he was far away, living on a farm somewhere, alive and well. He really didn't understand why love would make him wonder such a thing. He never figured out if it was normal. Nothing seemed normal now. Not that it ever was. The white worms, Crimson Dawn, Dryden Voss, they hurt her. They hurt her beyond recognition. She may look the same, but he knew she wasn't. There was a pain in her eyes he'd only seen in one person before. But they were long gone. Maybe Kira was too, but Han didn't want to believe it. He just couldn't understand why, no matter how much she was hurt, why she would try to do everything in her power to make him happy. Dryden Voss. Why wouldn't she try to rebel? Why wouldn't she try to find a way out? He'd heard so many stories of slaves running off, freeing themselves, or going to rebel against the Empire. So why hadn't she? Did she like it here? Was there someone she was staying for? Was she in love? Han hoped she wouldn't. Han hoped she wasn't. But even the part of him still in love with her, or at least the idea of her, hoped she wasn't too. He was selfish, and he knew it, but he couldn't help it. He loved her. Loved the time they had together. She was so close that she would always be so far away. It's almost like Kira liked it that way. Watching her twirl in Calrissian's cape, he saw hope in her eyes for the first time since that night three years ago. The childish wonder she used to have, that Han used to have too. He missed those days for her. He wished he saved her then. He wished he'd tried harder, even though it was fruitless. Maybe they all suffered for a reason, for some predetermined cause. Maybe the Force was guiding them to something, but Han would have rather died than allow some mystical power to outline his life for him. He couldn't see it then, but maybe the new Han could. His name was Solo for a reason, not because he chose to be alone, but because all that time on his own granted him something his time on Corellia never could have. He just didn't know what it was yet. She had lied. He should have known she would, but he couldn't see it. He still saw the good in her. Maybe the Kira he knew... Maybe she really was gone. His blind hope in that future he'd planned for them was a curse. He should have kept his guard up. He never should have trusted that she still wanted him, that she wanted that future. Maybe she never did. If so, why why wouldn't she have told him on Corellia? He was too angry to think about it. He figured he always would be. He loved her. Once. He loved the idea of her. What was I? Sorry.
He loved, oh, he loved the idea of her, of the facade she had always shown him. He doesn't know when it started or how much of her was real or true. He just knows that he couldn't trust the thought of her anymore. It had swayed him too far from the truth. He couldn't tell what was real anymore. She said he had a heart of gold, a pure soul, that he would always be on the side of the good, and he hated that she was right. The question was, what side is she on? What side has she been on? He couldn't help but be jaded. He was too hurt. Too angry. He didn't know what this life she had chosen for herself had that he didn't, that a happy life didn't, even if it wasn't with him. He could find a way to live with it if she didn't want him, but for her to just leave? He knew what happened when he left that ship. Why has she convinced herself that the only choice she had was to continue the operation? What did Crimson Dawn have that he didn't? He never thought she was power-hungry until now. Was it the power? Was it the money? Was it something else? Someone else? He couldn't come up with a good answer, one that would satisfy him, but he knew he would never find that. This wasn't possible to return from. He had already convinced himself of that. He wished there was another way, that this could have been avoided, that he never saw her again. It would have hurt less. He bent the truth from himself so far he couldn't trust his own mind. He was dancing around the truth, knowing what happened but never wishing to believe it. And the truth is, Han has always been on the side of good. He would do anything to know within himself he did the right thing. But Kira never understood his sense of morality. She did what she had to do to survive. She always had, even before they met and well long after their last parting. He could never understand her, nor did he want to. He would drive himself to a place he couldn't return from if he ever tried to understand her and there was too much to do. If he could only just know her, if she could only just know him, the real him. He had been a lot more transparent than her, but maybe that was the problem. Maybe he was too nice, too moral, too trusting. He would have to change that if he wanted to survive. That's the only thing the idea of Kira had taught him. He wants to tell her. He wants to scream in agony. You know, there's many different ways that you can kill the one you love. And the slowest way is never loving them enough. Han doesn't think that she ever loved him. Not the way he loved her. It was never enough. And he would tell himself such until the day he died. He wished he never had to. He wished he knew better. One day, he would. The end. And that was everything I have for you on High Infidelity and the Han Kira connection. Still not me, Kira, by the way. Totally different Kira. We're both from Corellia, though. So that's cool. Join us in two weeks as we cover the song from Midnight's 3am edition, Paris, track 16. And just remember to document where you were this April 29th, friends. This was In My Era's Era. Until next time.